The Forum at 8 with Kolani Gwala. 11 minutes after 8, welcome to The Forum at 8 here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Well, um, just a couple of announcements over the past week and a half. Justice Minister over the weekend, uh, Jeff Khatebe, uh, announced that uh, from now onwards, there will be a process of naming and shaming those convicted for fraud and corruption in the public service and the private sector. Um, more than 3,000 people apparently have been convicted of fraud and corruption after being implicated in high-profile cases worth over 77 million rand. Uh, now, that came just about a week or so after Public Service and Administration Minister Lindu Esesulu announced that there will be a new anti-corruption bureau uh, that obviously will also be dealing with issues of corruption, particularly within the public service. Now, this morning we'd like to get reaction to this, but also just to see how it is likely to assist in the fight against corruption, these two announcements in particular. Let me welcome my guests then to assist us in this regard. Let me start with Mr. David Lewis. He's the Executive Director of Corruption Watch. David Lewis, good to see you. Hi, hi, Kulani. Good, good to morning. See you as well. Thank you very much. Also, I'm joined here in studio by Ralph Matehai, a political analyst. Uh, Ralph, good to see you. Uh, thanks, Colin, for inviting me. Much appreciated. Uh, Menda Similane is a special advisor to Public Service and, Admin- and Administration Minister Lindy Wessisulu. Advocate Similane, hello. Sanbona to you and your guests. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thanks indeed for coming through. Firstly, maybe I should start with you, Advocate Similane, because I would like to talk about this anti-corruption bureau, what it in- aims to do, and whether or not are we not uh, looking at a situation where we duplicate functions here. Not at all. Um, the bureau as you'll see in the legislation, is going to be primarily an internal organ within government. Its primary purpose would be to do a number of things, but largely to investigate all cases of misconduct, firstly. Misconduct that is corruption-related. So the specific misconduct must be demonstrated that it is as a result of a corrupt activity. Secondly, once it has completed that report, it must then institute disciplinary proceedings in respect of that misconduct. Those are the really primary functions. But there are others. For example, it must facilitate the enforcement of disciplinary sanctions. So it must follow up and make sure that whatever sanction is decided at a disciplinary hearing, it is enforced. It must facilitate the protection of whistleblowers, amongst other things. But the first two that I mentioned are the primary day-to-day um, activities. But there is no duplication. Uh, sorry, the, duplication, no dupl- the concern about yeah. duplication comes out of, of the fact that isn't there a public service commission that does some of the work that you are alluding to? Yeah. No, the, what the public service commission does is that it monitors whether or not the various departments and the various functionaries are performing their functions. So people would ordinarily report a corruption-related case, at least alleged, to the public service commission and then the Public Service Commission will engage with the department from which that conduct is alleged to be taking place and follow up with that department on whether or not that conduct, firstly, is being investigated, and secondly, if it's been investigated, what has been done about it. But also what has happened is that the, the, uh, where there are allegations of corruption, you then bring in the SIU and so forth. Will, will, will that continue? No, that's not correct. Um, the SIU is not brought in on any matter by anybody. That's not how it works. What the SIU does is that it receives information uh, from a particular department or state entity which seeks assistance from the SIU to uh, conduct an investigation. And then the SIU prepares a proclamation that goes to the president 
so that it is giving authorization to conduct that investigation. That's how the SIU works. And, but will that process of the SIU continue? It should definitely continue. For example, if the Anti-Corruption Bureau finds that there is that misconduct, whilst it does its work, as I've described, and there is evidence that uh, there is other corruption involving, for example, uh, parties outside of government, that information may be provided to the SIU or the Hawks uh, or the FIC, which institutions will then uh, perform their functions in the manner that I've just described. Presumably the reason why uh, the the minister and the department and government in general has taken these steps is really out of realization that that, um, corruption is just way too much. It's getting a little endemic. Corruption is like a crime of death. It's continuous. Uh, Corruption is an ongoing activity for a variety of reasons. Um, Others do it uh, as a result of uh, materialism. Others will do it because the opportunity is there. Others will do it because they are simply career criminals, and that is their purpose uh, around all of us. So those activities continue. And as government continues to put various measures to counter that, those people whose business it is to conduct corruption or acts of corruption uh, also um, move their strategies around and try to avoid uh, detection and uh, being dealt with. So corruption, serious as it is, uh, we must understand that uh, it, it's something that will continue, and that's why we must continue fighting it. But I just want—I want to get the the sense of how government sees corruption, because if again, I mean, there was a, a SA Institute of Race Relations uh, survey. They, they showed clearly that control of corruption, which is a key area of democracy, is slipping. But also, we've heard from Transparency International's Corruption Index. Um, over the past year and a half, we've slipped a number of places down the index. Uh, I remember there was an article by the Economist, which—and I'm going to quote from that article. It was saying, for most South Africans, the stench of graft, patronage and greed surrounding the ruling party itself is now too strong. The romance, solidarity and heroism of the days of the struggle are gone. In popular mind, ANC people from the president down seem keener on power, status and ostentatious wealth than on improving the lot of the poor. Essentially, everyone that you talk to outside is saying that the the stench, as I say, of graft is rather too strong. How does government see this? Government sees it uh, not very different from um, your commentators uh, and uh, from from those reports. It, it, remember that Tolani, you know, government runs a huge um, supply chain management and procurement program on an annual basis because of the work that government does. So by definition, anybody that is uh, uh, keen to engage in any corruption-related activity understand and knows what budgets are available to be spent on various government programs. And those people whose intention it is to engage in corruption put strategies around those particular budgets. So this is something that government is well aware happens on an annual basis. So the multi-agency approach to dealing with corruption is part and parcel of the program to counter this. And the introduction uh, of the Anti-Corruption Bureau now focusing specifically on public servants internally is an additional arm of that strategy. All right. It's part of the legislation uh, that I'm going to ask Mr. David Lewis to look at for us. David Lewis, Executive Director of Corruption Watch. Firstly, your reaction to some of these announcements by government? Well, uh, you know, I think to some significant extent, some of the announcements by government show a determination to get to grips with with corruption. I've been particularly struck by 
the determination that I think is demonstrated, if you like, in the attitude by Minister Sisulu. And this bill is, is the, the outcome of that. And I think that there, there, is, there is much in this bill that I think will be helpful in the fight against corruption. Oddly, I think the Anti-Corruption Bureau part of the bill is the most disappointing part of the bill. Hmm. Because I think that, and, and Menzi may disagree, he may correct me, but I think that the Anti-Corruption Bureau is in fact a service to departments and government entities that want to use it. It can only be, it, it can only come in and investigate when it is invited to do so by a head of department or a head of a government entity. If it wants to investigate something in the provinces or in, the, in, in local government, in the provinces it needs the permission of the Premier to investigate. In the, in the uh, local government it needs the permission of the municipal councils. Now, I would n- n- not have done it that way. I would have centralised, in fact... Government investig- all government investigation against corruption and government disciplinary measures against corruption because where the corruption takes place at the top mm-hmm. of any of these institutions, the likelihood of an independent body being called in to do the investigation is very slim. And on the Public Service Commission's own figures, the number of acts of corruption that are being reported has decreased slightly. I don't know whether that is actually the case or not. But what they do acknowledge is that the the value of each corruption activity has increased enormously, and the implication of that, and the Public Service Commission spells out this implication, is that the corruption is happening at higher and higher levels. Mm. So the odds of these sorts of... Uh, these levels of, of, of management calling in an independent anti-corruption bureau to assist them in the investigation is, to my mind, limited. And I would have preferred it if the anti-corruption bureau had had a mandatory um, uh, obligation to go in and investigate and mount disciplinary procedures, whether they were invited to do so or not. All right, let's discuss that element then. Uh, we're going to go back to Mr. Abigavan, <clears throat> to Advocate Melane, just to get his thoughts on that before I come back to, to you, Ralph. Uh, how then do you respond to what uh, 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 David Lewis is saying here, Advocate Melane? Well, firstly, the anti-corruption bureau part of the bill is, is, not, uh, is not the most disappointing. I understand where he, he's coming from, and I'll explain um, um, why. Um, remember that um, we've got three spheres of government, and it's argued and it continues to be argued that, um, you know, in terms of the constitution, provinces and local government um, basically can conduct their, their own affairs. What the public uh, ad, uh, administration and management bill seeks to do is to give the government, as it were, um, the ability to engage more um, in uh, provincial and, and local government. It hasn't happened yet. Mm. So when we drafted the anti-corruption bureau part of the bill, it was done with that sensitivity, hence the requirement that at, province, at provincial level and municipal level, uh, concurrence is required. Uh, we'll be surprised why uh, concurrence would not be given where there's specific uh, corruption-related activity. So in that respect, I think it must be understood in that context that we're trying to be sensitive to the constitutional requirements. Do you acknowledge that the sensitivity may limit the extent and the ability of this Bureau then to do its work? It may in respect of those who would refuse to um, have the Bureau conduct those particular investigations, but it does not in relation to fighting corruption as a whole 
because um, the SIU would, uh, would get a proclamation which does not have those limitations. The Hawks doesn't require uh, any proclamation, so there would be no limitation. So the FIC and so forth and so forth. So generally in the fight against corruption, there will be no limitation uh, on the basis of provincial or municipal boundary. But the Bureau uh, will be affected insofar as uh, it, it deals with that work. Because remember that the Bureau focuses on the public uh, public officials, and uh, public officials at that level fall under the provinces or the municipal council, as it were. So that would be the limitation. In respect of national departments, uh, it is not correct that the Bureau will need invitation. Um, in fact, it is required to conduct an investigation in, uh, in all those departments where it meets the requirements. Oh, okay. So it doesn't wait until it is invited. No, by it doesn't. No, it, it doesn't require that uh, at all. It, okay. it should not require. It, it should have its own powers too. All right. I know David wants to to respond, but let me bring you in, Ralph, on the discussion. Firstly, then you uh, maybe you um, let me ask you to respond to the announcement over the weekend by Minister Jeff Hunter. Well, uh, you know, Tualani, the announcement. It's uh, what happens with the naming and the shaming. Uh, this is what happens after convictions have been secured. So I, I think that is a symbolic gesture to the fight against corruption. It shows government's determination. But I think, in substance, it will not really make so much of an impact because the people who are named in that list of uh, people who you know have, have been convi- are people who have already been convicted already. The main question for me is, is, is the extent of convictions that you can really get in South Africa and also the credibility of the institutions that mm. uh, are tasked to investigate and handle cases of corruption. Mm. And uh, you know, uh, sorry, just com- before, before before you because I, I'm yeah. just wondering whether the announcement over the weekend then complements an earlier announcement by Treasury where it says it, it has its own database of people who may have uh, contravened procurement policies and that kind of stuff. I think that the Treasury database has got much more substance and has got much more great potential than just the announcement of a, a list of people who have been uh, convicted because if you look at the Treasury database, if it is handled carefully, there are challenges thereof, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to that. Uh, if it is handled carefully, what it says is that government departments that are on the procurement should have that list so that they know companies that are being blacklisted. Yeah. But we know that there are, there are powerful companies in South Africa that are you know, at the center of some of the tender irregularities, and those companies have got the legal muscle, and they use South Africa's constitution and the leeway to go challenge them being listed on that treasury list. So what you're going to have at the end, as I looked at the list that you have at treasury, you're going to have companies that are some vulnerable companies that will be listed for that particular period of time. And, and I think, in my view, that kind of listing should... Uh, 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 perhaps be synchronized with what happens at company's registration. Because your company can be registered, uh, can be listed on the treasury list, but you can still uh, uh, go back and reconstitute another company. There is no details as to multiple shareholdership that we see happening across uh, different companies in South Africa. So on its own, it will not really address that, but I think it has a potential and it needs to be synchronized with other initiatives, including means and method of registering companies. Maybe if that information comes up in the open, we will be able to compare that uh, this person has been listed, this company has been listed, but then the person went on and, and, and registered another company mm. and or they're a shareholder in this company, they're trying to do business with this and that municipality. So we need an array of information to be able to uh, 
to 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 make use of that. But mm. the, the the naming of the people for me in in substance it will not make any big do, difference. Do you agree? Do you do you agree with that, David? Um, you know, I I think that the naming uh, uh, that that Minister Khadebe announced this week is 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 kind of limited. I you know. As 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 my 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 colleague says, there there it's limited to people who have already been found guilty in a court of law, but there are amongst those names many suspended sentences and people who've paid fines, and so I think it's worthwhile naming them. I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not sure that Minister Khadebe has spelt this out. What the consequences of naming people are? Are they prohibited from working in government again? Are they prohibited from contracting with government again? I would imagine that follows, which is the case with the. Treasury, um, the Treasury blacklists. The Treasury blacklists are interesting. There are two blacklists. The one is of companies actually convicted of corruption. And when I last looked at that, which was about two months ago, there were two companies on that list. Hmm. The second list is companies who have been involved in corruption, but also in non-performance on contracts. And there were about I, if I recall correctly, about 250 companies listed there. It's very small compared to the total. And there's clearly something wrong there. My understanding is that the court needs to agree to have companies put on those lists. I don't see why why that should have to be the case, and that seems to be an unnecessary limitation. Um, uh, but uh, the, the naming and shaming is a step in the right direction. But but again, I suppose on the whole, it it talks about the difficulties of fighting corruption. Just it, across it, the it does. But but Kalani, and it goes to what Menzi was saying, and it and it speaks to this list as well. This this bill is largely about disciplining public servants who have engaged in corruption. It's also about prosecuting and what follows from that, but it's largely about uh, disciplining public servants who are, are, are involved in corruption. Our argument is that people who are subject to disciplinary inquiries or to a disciplinary finding should be blacklisted. Not only those who are found guilty on a criminal standard of proof. Once you have been disciplined in the public sector for, for financial misconduct or corruption, you should go onto a blacklist. Okay, so once, once you've been found, let's say, guilty in terms of the dis- dis- disciplinary process. Exactly, and for, for Menzi to say that there still will be the Hawks and there still will be the SIU to do investigations where the provinces or the councils don't agree to have investigations done, yes, they will, but they do criminal investigations. Hmm. This is about disciplining of, 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 of public servants. And I think that the, the Bureau should have more further-reaching uh, uh, powers to investigate whether the heads of agencies or the, he- or the Premier or the Council agrees to it or not. Hmm. I mean, this is not uh, a, a forum for, for, for arguing about the legal interpretation of what is a very complex bill. And if I'm pleased if the intention of the drafters was that it should not require the permission of heads of national government departments in order to investigate in their departments. Mm. But my reading of the bill is that that's what it definitely says. All right, there's another issue. It was flagged by the Public Service Commission. It's the turnaround time. People are found perhaps to have uh, con- <clears throat> guilty of misconduct or on, on one kind or the other, but it takes a very long time before verdicts and before people are either uh, sent to jail and that kind of thing. I'm going to ask Advocate Menz Similana to respond to that issue. Whether or not this bill uh, takes care of the particular concern that was raised by the Public Service Commission. But I do need to take some um, updates now. We're going to start with the news. Babakshni, good morning.
The Forum at 8 with Polani Guala. We're talking about uh, announcements made by government over the past uh, week and a half or so ago involving efforts to fighting corruption. We're getting your thoughts then on 0891 Let me remind you, my guest on the program, Advocate Mendes Similane, he's the Special Advisor to Public Service and Administration Minister Lindy Wessisulu. Also with me in the studio, David Lewis, he is the Executive Director of Corruption Watch, as well as Mr. Ralph Matecha, who is a political analyst. Your thoughts then on 0891 before I go uh, to the lines, and perhaps let me read some SMSs and then go uh, to Advocate Milane about that question uh, of the turnaround time because it's been a concern uh, flagged by the Public Service Commission. Um, SMSs. Somebody says, fighting corruption should be welcomed. However, I'm against selective justice. The announcement made over the weekend is an effort to deviate from the Gupta issue. Um, there is also Pilani Soweto who says materialism is bad. They don't even invest uh, to help us create some work opportunities. Shame. Um, Western tendencies. That's Pilani Soweto. <coughs> Another SMS says on SAFM it was proposed that corruption be classified as treason. Both state and private offenders can be charged. Will taxpayers paying bribery taxes be charged? That's Jim Dollar. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Mr. David Lewis to respond to that because it's an issue that was raised by advocate Moses Ikakane. He was suggesting that perhaps if, um, if corruption is classified as uh, treason, maybe uh, that will, uh, I don't know, instill fear in some hearts and uh, ensure that we deal with this issue. So, um, Mr. David Lewis will respond in a minute. But Clive says a fish rots from the head downward. Pity, government is targeting the soft targets, ignoring the big ones. Also, another Another SMS, um, uh, it says, it seems to me that your panel has lost their fight against corruption. What about uh, Shabir Sheikh? That's according to Arthur. Uh, somebody says, we must appreciate what the ANC government is doing, naming and shaming corrupt people, and by settling up process or setting up processes to remove corruption in this country, uh, which is everybody's responsibility, Kane Lee Inhoff Mayor. Arthur says, it seems to me, oh, okay, it's the same one about um, Shabir Sheikh. Uh, can anyone take Menza seriously when he committed perjury in the Bigoli matter, says another SMS from J.R. and Josie. Victor says, so the idea is the avoidance of criminal prosecution. Jay says, government is selective in tackling corruption. Uh, Mervyn says, government credibility is at stake. Statements, not enough. Too many questions at ANC government leadership level. Spew and KZN, if this administration wishes to be taken serious on the subject of corruption, let's see it reinstating dozens charges against uh, KZN politicians, dozens of charges against uh, KZN politicians. That's Spew and KZN. Um, another one, Bert in Durban. What is the budget cost and the anti uh, of the anti-corruption bureau? Will they uncover and recover more than they will cost? That's Bert in Durban. Perhaps this is the point for, uh, for you to bring you in, uh, uh, Advocate Similane. The costs. Well, the, the budget that's currently available at Public Service and Administration for um, Pisago, which was the uh, anti-corruption unit established a couple of years ago, is about six million. Six million, um, which is 30, yeah, six million rands, which is quite clearly not not sufficient. Uh, two weeks ago, at the budget vote, the minister requested 17 million rands from from Parliament to fund uh, the anti-corruption bureau. So we're hoping that uh, at the beginning of the new financial year. Next year, we will have a budget of 70 million um, for the anti-corruption bureau. All right. You want to respond to other SMSs? Well, I think all the input is uh, is welcome. I mean, and, and appreciated. 
Um, the Anti-Corruption Bureau focuses on public servants. The other institutions that we've, been, we've talked about um, deal with everybody else, including public servants. So, I mean, I can't speak uh, for, for them. Uh, on the time frames, um, we're trying to provide a, a very strict timeline for investigations to be conducted so that they don't go on forever. For example, the Anti-Corruption Bureau has only 90 days to complete its investigation from the time that uh, it, um, it accepts uh, an, an investigation uh, into any matter reported. So it will have basically three months. Uh, if it doesn't finish that investigation within three months, it can get an extension from the from the minister or, or the head of the of the anti-corruption bureau um, for whatever number of days uh, is required. So the idea is that um, by law it should conduct its time frame within the, the shortest uh, possible time. Then all the other time frames after that are due process time frames because. Uh, the people investigated must then be given an opportunity to comment before a final decision is taken. But have you decided on, on uh, the constitution of the Bureau? Uh, who, who will be members? Well, because it's a government institution, normal recruitment processes will have to uh, take place. In other words, um, once the structure is signed off on, there will then be vacancies, and then those vacancies will be filled by a process of advertisement in the normal, in the normal course. But to immediately start its work, um, we are making sure that we'll be able to have officials seconded from um, other departments and other law enforcement agencies. But the cracks and the fundamental uh, structure will be filled by uh, a response to advertised positions. All right. My, my other panelists will come in in a minute, uh, but let me take some, one or two calls. Let me start with uh, Duronko in Spread View. Duronko, good morning. Yeah, you see, I'm just going to try to be sharp and short. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, public service sector, you know, it is a public service sector. That is actually self-explanatory. And in fact, it means every public good must belong to the public hand. And in this thing, it is done deliberately because now... The public service are given to the private hands and the private sector to be controlled by the private sector through tender, re- to, through tender systems, through the appointment of the consultants and the corporatization of the very same sector. So then this is where the big problem is. And the large chunk of money that is being eaten or that is being actually appropriated through these corrupt deals among the friends of politicians. Um, if the last chunk of money goes to those who are higher. Now, this, 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 this anti-corruption bureau, it seeks to target public service servants who are at the administrative level. Hmm. And yet, there are people right up there at the upper echelons of the state who are corrupt. And then I'm saying this because this is it's a waste of time because this is the job that is supposed to be done on a daily basis by the SAPS. We don't need to set up a committee here, a committee there, thereby committifying ourselves out of the system. Just a very quick one before I let you go, though. Uh, What gives you the idea that it won't be able to tackle uh, people in higher-up positions? Well, firstly, because I mean, you can already hear that they are playing marbles. They've got six million in the kit. And then they are aiming to get 70 million rand. And I suppose that 70 million rand in perpetual is too little. Because that 70 million, it won't even pay the salaries for the first financial year. 
You know, that alone, you know, I mean, it's just playing marbles okay. here. Right, the minister of public safety said, Tantata, she has been in parliament for 20 years today, and she, and a lot of this corruption happened right under her watchful eye. Okay, Toronto, Toronto, thank yeah. you very much in straight view. Uh, David Lewis, let me bring you in. The issue of the, the budget. Well, I mean, six million rand is is risable. I, I I have to say that I think that seventy million rand sounds low as well. But then, I, you know, I can't. It's very difficult to know how it's to be spent, where it's to be drawn from. So it's it's really difficult to comment on that. But you know, it goes to this question about whether this bureau is intended to really take on disciplinary investigations and hearings on a broad scale in the public sector across all three tiers of government. Mm. And that's what it should do. You know, Menzies said that there is great sensitivity regarding taking over the functions of any of the second and third tiers of government. I agree that there's sensitivity, but when you see the extent of corruption going on at the second and third tiers of government, which at Corruption Watch is where the vast majority of our complaints are coming from, then it's maybe time to think again about whether those sensitivities are well placed or not. There may be constitutional problems. They'll be, they, they can be overcome. But essentially, I think if this Bureau is to be effective, it has to have the unfettered right to conduct investigations and to institute disciplinary action against public servants at all levels of, of at, in all tiers of government and at all levels within those tiers without getting the permission of anyone before they do that. Now, if that's what they do, a 70 million rand budget is probably very, very small. Little. Uh, uh, Ralph? The budget doesn't matter to me, to be honest with you. you can, it can be done by volunteers. It can be done at a zero budget. If people are serious about fighting corruption, it's not about how much money you pump into the institution and it's not about how bloated the institution is going to be when it comes to the budget. What matters to me is the constitution of this uh, institution. And by the constitution, I don't mean the logistics as to how you are going to bring in people in and advertising, but I mean about the body of people who will be coming into that. Is it going to be people from within the public service? Because if that is the case, you already have credibility problems. Corruption exists within the public service. This is why I think we are so worried about it, because the internal disciplinary processes within the public servant in South Africa can be said to have failed at this point. So if you are going to constitute a bureau that is going to have secondment of director general, I'm just citing an example, or deputy director general from various departments, it's still located from where the problem exists. So its ability to rise above that challenge is just limited. Mm. I think it will be better maybe if information were to come forth that people who are going to be staff, who are going to be decision makers, perhaps even investigators within this body should also come from, significantly come from outside where the problem is located. That is outside the public service. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the whole idea of forming an institution, a, a new bureau, as a, a, a response to the, to the corruption, we are, we are getting accustomed to reinstitutionalization. When mm-hmm. we identify a problem, there is a new bureau. When we identify a problem, there is a testing, there is this and that. What happens? Have we done a correct evaluation as to why the current institutions are having a problem in dealing with corruption? 
Okay. Is there sufficient political will that I think provides uh, 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 support for the existing institution to fight against corruption? We need to do a thorough evaluation mm. before we come up with another institution. All right. Uh, 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 Advocate, uh, let's, let's deal with the issue of uh, uh, the recruitment, Advocate Melana. Uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking, many, many years ago, um, I was at the airport covering the story of the recruits who were going to go abroad and train to be members of the Scorpions. Is that something that you are considering doing here? Because they had recruited the, the cream of the crop, effectively, and, and there was an official send-off at the airport and we were covering that story. I, I, why should we not be doing something similar here? First of all, I mean, this is a public institution and public officials are, are defined in terms of the Public Service Act. So everybody that would be working in government in a full-time position, by definition, would have to be a, a public servant unless they are a consultant, in which case there's a different, there's a different scheme. So people will be brought in who are not involved in any form of corruption and they will be trained appropriately. I mean, where they get trained is, is not going to be really a big issue. The important thing is that they must be trained on the on the right things. They must be trained how to conduct proper investigation, how to lead evidence properly, and how to ensure that they are not uh, subjected to any unnecessary pressures uh, out there. So that, that will, that's what is intended, uh, obviously, um, on paper, and we want to make sure that in practice that is also reflected. I think the skepticism that is there is informed by um, people's experiences uh, in, in other cases and other observations that it's made. So I'm not going to quibble about that. But what cannot be argued for, and I think in law it's not even possible, is to say that this bureau must uh, be constituted by people who are not public servants. That's, that's not going to be, um, uh, to be, to be possible. Uh, but what about the other, and you know, Durong, for instance, is arguing, and I've seen this even yesterday, the reaction, people suggesting that, will it be able to investigate across the board, or will it just deal with uh, uh, the, the lower level public servants, will it be able to deal with the leadership at the top? Yeah, it should, it should deal with leadership at the top, and it should do so. In other words, anyone that is a public servant, so from director general downwards, it should be able to deal with those uh, people. If there's information that implicates an elected uh, public uh, office bearer, for example, I mean, that would be information that would be used to uh, discipline a public servant, but the information vis-a-vis uh, an elected public official will be referred to the police to take the matter further. I think some of the comments that have been made about how far the work of the Bureau can, can go, um, you know, were considered, and that is why it, it's not structured to accommodate some of that work, because there shouldn't be a duplication. I think the gentleman from uh, from Spreadview that commented on some of the work is supposed to be done by the police, uh, but the police, as you know, um, you know, has a, a jurisdiction that covers more than such cases. Okay. So it doesn't mean, therefore, that uh, the, the bureau shouldn't uh, shouldn't come in. On the point that uh, Mr. Lewis raises around the second and third sphere of government, you know, in truth, the, the, the first draft that we did included, um, you know, without reservation, those second and third and third spheres of government. But as we went on the bill, you know, we were advised that, uh, look, we may be crossing over the constitutional boundaries and the bill was not going to be certified if that was the case. So we had to redo it in such a way that it took into account those sensitivities. We are hoping to deal with this issue going forward. And if the um, Public Administration Management Bill does indeed get passed, we're expecting that uh, soon thereafter there could be an amendment that addresses the concerns that Mr. Mr. Lewis talks about. Okay, Michael in Pretoria, good morning to you. 
one and your guest. And Hi. How are you? All right. Welcome, sir. No, I'm okay, man. Um, uh, in Howard, we are facing a serious problem, you know. Um, we are big companies, you know, out there trying to survive, you know, amongst this, uh, you know, uh, confusing, you know, phase which we're going through. But I don't think, uh, you know, uh, the, the war is being won, you know, uh, as far as corruption is concerned, because... As I speak right now, I had to, you know, retrench 28 people that I, uh, I employed, you know, since uh, 2002. And 28 families are sitting without work because of uh, corruption. And uh, I would rightfully say so, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sound, uh, trying to sound maybe, you know, uh, funny or whatever. You know, when Mbegi uh, uh, was uh, in power, things were a bit different. It was evident, you know, they were... There were control measures that were put in place. You know, people were afraid to do corruption because he was he was, he was tough. He didn't take, you know, uh, nonsense from anybody. So mm. even the ministers concerned, the, the, the DGs, whoever was concerned, they knew that they had to do their work. Right now, what we're seeing, you know, in the public sector is a very relaxed, you know, situation. People are so relaxed they are at home you know it's like they come and go as they wish hmm. you phone even now you can pick up a phone and phone at, at the department somewhere you find that the phone is not answered for 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 hours and stuff like that you know and you ask yourself where are people uh, you know during working hours you go to restaurants you find some of these people sitting in restaurants instead of uh, doing their work and what what is evident you know what worries me the most you know like government is always consulting with uh, people uh, when they talk about PE they always referring to people who are successful you know in the in the in the in the market you know like uh, you know the the, the papers motifers you know all these big guys and stuff okay. like they don't come down to to us you know the the, the real PE companies okay. what, Michael, uh, what I would like us to do of course is not to confuse and conflate issues the issue of corruption and I think you've made your point and I'm going to ask my panelists to respond in as far as that issue is concerned the B issue we we'll certainly will have to deal with it uh, at a different date uh, but I thank you for calling Michael and Pretoria Eddie in Cape Town good morning in Hi welcome Eddie uh, I, um, I think I think Colan at the root of, of all this is actually um, political will uh, you, if, if I can define that Colan you know at Employment level, say, at the junior level there, you have a supervisor. If the supervisor knows that they are both, who has got a boss and who's got a boss until up to the director general, they know that um, if they do anything bad or they don't come to work, or um, they will be disciplined. Because, I mean, each and every company or department, I would love to believe, I, I, I would like um, advocates Melania to... to, to to actually respond to this and say this is not true. Okay. Now to 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 try and 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 abrogate that duty to someone who's more external. For me, that's where the government is failing this war. Because if I'm an employee and I've got a supervisor, I come late for work. My bosses are asked, and then so that is what what is at the root of all this, Toland, the okay. political world. So right now we've got President Jacob Zuma and his government at the moment. Now. The guy who's chosen to be a minister of public works or whatever comes in with his own director general because he's got a matter of trust with the director general who's already there, who's already implemented maybe systems for almost 10 years. Now he brings a new guy who is he comfortable with, who obviously will start afresh 
and will not obviously be in the confidence of the internal audit, which which is something I want Advocate uh, Smelani to answer as well. Okay. Government does have internal audit because if they do, then we don't need all of these other um, uh, agencies and task teams because what, what are those guys being paid to do if they're not looking at systems, strengthening the government, and so on and so on. All right, know? Eddie in Cape Town, thank you very much. Let me read one or two emails before I get responses. There's one from Vosi who says, Why is it that we hear daily of widespread corruption in all ANC-run provinces and nothing at all from the Western Cape province? Is it just my perception? That is Vosi on email. Uh, another email from Sese today says, Corruption has become a cancer in South Africa. We do not see any developments in terms of government bodies that seek to combat corruption. Corruption is becoming a norm in this country. That's uh, in fact it's Lepu Sinovuyo uh, on on email. Another email came through from Lindelan Imkise. Uh, but who will take Menza Similana serious after his scandalous dealings and engagements? Please ask him. Is he being deployed to this portfolio now? That's Lindelan Imkise on email. Uh, there's an email as well from Kwezi. It's amazing how serious our government is on corruption. Case in point is the special advisor to the minister uh, whose credibility is under clout advising on corruption. All right, this issue is coming up, and again, uh, Advocates Menza Similana, please respond to it, but also respond to what Eddie has been saying. Certainly, I'll, I'll start with it. I, I think people are, are entitled, and it's correct, to, to raise uh, the issue that they raise. But what is important is to raise that issue with the information that is that is known. Um, you know, the, the general inquiry, and it's a pity that one is dealing um, with it uh, at this particular point in time, deals with things that are that, that are completely different. I mean, there, there was no plagiarism com- complained about. There was no corruption complained about. There was no incompetence complained about. It was just uh, an opinion on the part of uh, the chairperson who felt that uh, certain things should have been done differently by uh, a senior public official. So it doesn't talk to any of the issues that we are, that we are talking about here. The mere fact that it is criticism doesn't uh, get elevated and doesn't amount to what the, um, the callers and the various commentators have, uh, have spoken about. And I'll take an example that many times, I mean, magistrates and judges get criticized very seriously and counsel in fact in court get criticized very seriously by uh, presiding officers or, or higher courts and so forth. But that criticism is part and parcel of doing legal work. So in that particular context, I think the issue is a, is a, is a sidestep. But to question it and raise it, I don't think, uh, for me, is necessarily a problem. It's actually a proper thing to... Let me ask Mr. Lewis's view about uh, whether or not it may, um, I suppose, you know, take the focus away from the issue of fighting corruption, the issue of Advocates Milan. Well, you know, clearly you hear from the callers here that it, that it has already taken away some of the some of the focus and you know that's a that's a pity i'm i'm not you know i don't have a view on whether menzi should be employed in the position that he's employed in or not i i i really don't but i think that the burden of what your callers are saying and maybe to some extent this reflects on menzi's position but i think the burden of what all your callers are saying is that Nothing that government does, and I think that there is much in this bill that is that deserves support, but nothing that government does on the anti-corruption front 
will be greeted with anything but mistrust and skepticism, while at the same time you still have festering things like Nkandla, you still have festering this Gupta fiasco, you still have the John Block fiasco in, in the Northern Cape, you still have the fact that the SIU hasn't had a permanent head now for over a year, that the NPA hasn't had a permanent head for over a year. And so it is about this issue of political will, which many of your callers, like Eddie, for example, have have mentioned. And the skepticism on the part of the public, which we encounter all the time, and that is that certain people and certain positions uh, are, are completely immune mm. from from action taken uh, to deal with corruption. And as long as people believe that, they will be skeptical of anything that's sure. government introduces. Uh, and, and, and I would like you to, Ralph, touch on the issue of the political will, just broadly speaking. Yes, Colin, it's a question of the credibility of this institution, because if you look at uh, other crime-fighting agencies, you are, you are NPA, you are SIU, uh, as has been mentioned by my colleague, uh, people are doubtful as to whether you can demonstrate a political will to an institution that is formed within the public service, while that will seems not to be expressed when it comes to supporting the strength of your NPA and your SIU by having them uh, by having permanent heads as at those institutions. That mm. is the most important thing. It's a battle of credibility as well. And Advocate Melane, that makes your job difficult. No, it doesn't make the job uh, difficult. Um, it, it makes it, um, in, you know, an important one to reflect on what uh, is being said and what uh, will continue to be said until such time that at least uh, people are satisfied that, um, you know, there is a, a movement going forward. I think the issue of political will is, uh, is there. I mean, the, you know, the administration management building is one example of that public will. The other institutions are, are an example of that uh, political will. You know, whether we're doing enough and whether or not government should do more um, is clearly indicative by the comments that uh, have been received and that continue to be received. Mm -hmm. So government must continue and will continue to make attempts to be responsive to what uh, to what people are saying. Okay. But the important thing is that, uh, I mean, the, the Bureau can't be judged before it's even, uh, <laughs> it's even operating. And I think, um, you know, from the time that it starts doing cases, um, that, that's when people will be able to really see right. um, the it, commitment. All right. I've really got to thank you all for your time this morning. Uh, Advocate Mendes Simelana, Special Advisor to Public Service and Administration, Minister Lindy Wessisulu, and here with me, Mr. David Lewis, he's Executive Director of Corruption Watch, and Mr. Ralph Matecha, he's a political analyst. Thank you all for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks indeed. Thank you for listening to the program. Thank you for the input. Valuable indeed. The emails, SMSs, and calls. We shall do this again tomorrow, 6 to 9 here on SAFM. Time for the news. Cheers from all of us.